0: And we'll explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Rarely on the show do I get to investigate something that has been around since the dawn of time. And maybe that's a little sensational, uh, but this is a problem that has definitely been around since the dawn of man, Uh, Quite literally, frankly, we're talking about the cure for a hangover. Now, maybe not the dawn of man, but definitely the dawn after man decided to drink a bowl of fermenting wheat, barley, or apples or fruit of some kind. Alcohol causes a very weird and complex scientific chemical reaction inside the body, and the result of it is the hangover. So how do we get rid of this? Well, one man, the only man in history as far as we can tell, Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl, has chronicled his adventures in a book called Hungover. I mean, he really tries everything from ancient recipes for magical potions in the days of Pliny the Elder uh, to common beliefs such as Hare the Dog— and then to modern practices like intravenous electrolytes and complex B vitamins. I, I think we are really going to to get down to brass tacks and come up with a solution. Um, and by I say we, I mean he because he did it in his book. So we are going to discuss that. And I'm very excited about this. Now I was never really known as Drunk Dan in college. Nonetheless, I'm very excited to learn the answer to this centuries-old question. Uh, well, so speaking of nicknames, what do you like? Do you like Sean? Do you like? Do you still go by Lucky? Do you like the Bishop? SBS, the Stall. Can I call you Nessie? Oh,
1: Nessie's not bad. You know, um, I like the way they say my name in Ireland, which is Shocknessy. But,
0: uh, <laughs> oh, they usually shorten, shocknessy.
1: Yeah, or they shorten it to Shocks? Shocks. I like yeah, that.
0: But, uh, yeah. Uh, generally, people call me Shaughnessy. Shaughnessy. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try shucks I- I- as much as I can. Uh, like a- it, you know, it's kind of great because you know your books are pretty incredible, uh, and they kind of shocked me. In, <laughs> and and how much you kind of pour your life into these. So, hungover. This is yeah. this is a great book. Now, here's what I love about it. Okay. Uh, you know, I mentioned the format of the show, having a beer with someone, perfect setting for this particular topic. But here's something you got to know about me, Shocknessy, is that I am a teetotaler. I don't drink. I've never, <laughs> right. I've never drank before. Wow. I've, I've never been hungover, right? So, wow. you know, I think someone could enter into this and be like, "Well, I, I couldn't relate to any of this." Blah blah blah. But that's yeah. not how I'm going to enter into this. I am <laughs> a blank canvas for you right. to paint on. Um, right. The only thing that I can maybe even relate to being hungover, and this is only from reading your book, is that. I, I've I've played basketball at 120 degrees, right, and have been probably a little dehydrated, and after like an hour uh, or two
1: what, after, ate some bad chicken. After that,
0: <laughs> I've never been. No, no, no. Thank God, no. But I've been. But I've had the headaches, the dehydration aspect of it, not the upset stomach part. Although I've had, obviously, I've had upset stomachs in the past, so I could combine sure. it all. But and I got to tell you. There's been several reasons why I've never picked up drinking going through life. It's, it's changed with every, like, iteration of me as I've gotten older. Um, but one, one of the main aspects is being hungover um, and being sick to your stomach. Those seem like ridiculous trade-offs trade-offs um, for what you get. The positive aspect, which is act, acting like an a-hole most of the time, <laughs> right? So it never seemed like a great thing. However, I, I'm in the minority here. Um, it
1: sure are,
0: yeah. For sure. And, <laughs> and, and you paint like a great picture. So what kind of sent you, you know, I don't want to say that you're um, an alcoholic going on a mission to be able to drink more with, with fewer side effects. I don't want to go down that route. But I'm, I'm assuming you had a real reason to kind of find this cure. What was the reason? What was your mission? Huh? Um, well,
1: it's changed over time. You got to remember, I started this book almost a decade ago, <laughs> I, and and I was you know literally a different person. I don't don't they say I think yeah, I think all the cells in your body uh, yeah. switch out over a decade, don't they? I
0: think it's, uh, I think it's actually every three years or something, right. except your so brain, I, except your brain. So <laughs> I was
1: I, I've been three different people in that time. Right? So um, uh, but but also I was a different person in, in, in
0: other ways too. Wow, I mean, uh, a decade ago. So this book and and just this book just came out in November, right?
1: Yeah, it took. I was I was working on it all that time. I mean, uh, uh, there was one point where it was probably about three times the length that it ended up. Uh, I traveled to, uh, over a dozen countries and, uh, dozens and dozens of cities around the world. Um, and, uh, I went through a lot in the, uh, in the writing of that book. So it's, it's hard for me to go back and really back to to its inception. Hmm. Uh, Oddly enough, I didn't, really come up with the idea although <laughs> the more I put it under the microscope I guess it did come out of me but uh, I, I could very briefly tell you how it came about if you like yeah um, so I was uh, I was actually at a barbecue about a decade ago um, mm-hmm. and uh, having a beer and, uh, and a burger and chatting with some young lady who had just lost her job and she had just uh, she decided that morning that she was going to uh, start her own business and uh, um, going door-to-door because uh, we both lived on the edge of the uh, the university campus here uh, during Frosh Week and offering uh, hangover services uh, in the morning to the students.
0: Now, what, uh, now, what do you mean hangover services? Because that could mean yeah, a lot of different things here yeah, in the Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I mean just uh, uh, that's what she was trying to figure out, like to put together a kit uh, uh, um, that people would need brought to them oh, if they're in the middle okay. of a, of a, a knockdown i got a hangover you know okay. yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and um and she was going through kind of what she was thinking of putting in this kit and so on and i was sort of editing her choices saying no nah, that you shouldn't <laughs> do that because that'll burn through your stomach line and do right. this other thing because you can absorb that better at the certain times and make sure you but and um and and unbeknownst to me there was um there was somebody listening in uh who happened to be a um the The head of publicity for for a publishing house here. Um, now, I at the time was a Random House author, and uh, he was a he was a um, Harper uh, publicist. Oh,
0: that's like the Bloods and the Crips in the, in the publishing yeah, exactly. world. That's pretty dangerous. Especially you're here, to, <laughs> you're, you're lucky to make um, it out of that barbecue alive.
1: It's true. So I got a I got a call from him uh, a couple of months later, uh, or actually a message inviting me to their HarperCollins annual uh, party. Hmm. And I had no idea why, because like, like we said, this is uh, this is the rival publishing house. But I figured whatever, even if it's a mistake, I'll go and I'll drink their free booze and eat their eat their cheese, you know. Um, And uh, (laughs) I showed up there and he was like, yeah, come, come have a drink with me. And he said, you know what? ever since I heard you talking uh, to this lady about hangovers months ago, I, I, I can't get out of my head. I think uh, this would make a great book. What do you think? And I said, no, I think this would make a, a crappy book. Who wants to read about hangovers for, you know? Uh, uh, but then, <laughs> then we started drinking and, and the, the synapses started firing. And sure. by the end of the night, we were just hunkered down in a corner going, Oh, and you could do this and it could be about that. And nobody's uh, ever written this an aspect. And then, uh, um, and then that excitement uh, brought us right through a contract and then and then into the pr- preliminary stages of research, which then uh, you know a decade later, here I am with this uh, which is with, with, with what is pretty much um, the first ever comprehensive book about hangovers because one of the things I, I learned in my early days of research is that nobody had ever written this
0: book. I interviewed um, a guy he, he was a card counter. And so one of the records he holds at his publishing company is taking the longest time to between concept to finished book. And it was yeah. six years. <laughs> I beat him. How, yeah. How did you manage right. to, to do that? Without, how, how did that work? Oh God! Well, I mean, part of it just
1: plainly is that I was drunk and hungover so much, you know. And they were fine I mean, with that. Well, part that's, of the uh, deal. Oh so, oh, so the question is like, how did I convince them to to keep giving me more time? <laughs> yeah, really?
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, that was a question. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: oh I see. Uh, I thought you were just asking why it took so long. No, no. Um, I mean, the why, then, maybe maybe is self-explanatory, but the the how, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's that the publishing industry was um, busy uh, being in flames and collapsing sure, dur- sure. during that time, and they were busy with other things and didn't even notice I was still out there drinking right. my face off on the other side of the world. Right.
0: <laughs> That's really funny. I was funny. still in the
1: jungle, you know?
0: Right, right, right.
1: Came back, and they were like, oh, yeah, you. Yeah.
0: Hey, <laughs> you owe us a book you remember those yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: so, so you uh, essentially were like your own like lab rat then because i mean you you were like you're like a, a modern-day dr frankenstein because you were you know kind of getting yourself inebriated and then figuring out how to get yourself out over and over again really right?
1: I, I, yeah I, I i'd relate it more to a, a, a modern-day dr jekyll
0: Okay, well, that's scary. Uh, All right.
1: <laughs> um, and actually, I do uh, get into the book a bit about uh, the, sort of the Victorian ideas that right. combine uh, alcoholism with monsters and so on. Right, right, um, right. But yeah, I did spend a lot of time doing, uh, coming up with concoctions and different, uh, some of them based on ancient remedies, some of them very new science and uh, trying out everything I, I could wherever I could find it, where they whether they be uh, uh, methods, for the morning after, or inoculations the night before, and uh, um, I also found a you know a lot of uh, uh, people to play along with me, you know, family members and friends who I would, uh, as long as I was paying for the drinks, they'd take anything I gave. Right. So, and I ended up becoming a de facto scientist. Um, uh, my scientific method was not always sound, especially <laughs> it's hard to be. Uh, on top of your research when you're inebriated. Sure. Wasn't you it,
0: Socrates was probably rolling over in his grave with your scientific method, <laughs> but it was all right. He got the job done, right?
1: I, I, t- I tend to spin graves when I...
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of the, So there are two great things I learned in the book. Uh, first one is you use the word crapulence, which is an old-timey word for hangover. And and I love that because I heard it on The Simpsons back in season six on the Who Shot Mr. Burns uh, episode. <laughs> that and is I, a good... I never learned... Spoiler I never knew- alert. Was- <laughs> easy, 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 easy. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so um, I, I love that. So thank you for, for giving me that definition. I could have looked it up myself, but, but you did it for me. Um, and I appreciate that. Almost probably 30 years after it came out. Um, <laughs> and the second thing that I learned and this has nothing to do with alcohol, so we'll get back on the hangover train in a second, but that your family, if I remember correctly, has an incredibly complex feeding schedule for your cats, <laughs> and, and we have to get into that before I forget, because it was so mesmerizing to, to listen to, uh, or to read, I'm sorry. Um, w- tell me about this.
1: <laughs> um, that, that's funny, you know. Uh, I actually had to fight to keep that uh, section in the book. Oh. I hope i I hope my editor listens to this uh (laughs) this podcast Um, was the
0: best editing decision you made i mean i think (laughs) if you really want to know
1: i appreciate it um yeah i mean uh, i have one of these families who take in who takes in strays Uh whether they be uh cats wolves pigs musicians artists (laughs) you know um and uh and they and they, we definitely have that sort of misanthropic gene where we where we um, uh, coddle and and uh, take care of the animals much better than we do the humans in my in my family, you know. Um, but uh, yes, at the time that I was um, researching uh, The polar bear swim back in my hometown of Vancouver, which is basically, you know, a remedy whereby you jump in freezing cold Canadian waters after being drunk, Um, I I was left at uh, my parents' house uh sort of on my own with my girlfriend uh while they were uh, gone for the holidays and part of our job was to take care of the uh i don't even know how many there were six or seven cats who all have uh, very specific diets and methods of the way they have to be fed and what they who you know what cat can be near the other ones when they're being fed and (laughs) you have to to not create the cat riot and so on
0: and uh it's like the ultimate to... <laughs> riddle by the way like listening to that it was like something that like one of the elders would have said to like get you to like a thought experiment almost you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, and part of part of the um, the, the real uh, challenge, of course, is trying to trying to do that kind of thing with a hangover. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Um, well, it, it's an, it's my favorite part of the book. You know, uh, I just want not put that out there. Great editing choice. One of the things that you mentioned just now, which I think this was. Kind of the most eye-opening part of the book because you you open the book talking about these extreme challenges in Las Vegas, which is also this really crazy concept. Um, but but it all it's all tied into adrenaline and one of the kind of because you go through a bunch of cures. Yeah, that,
1: okay, yeah, well, yeah. I'd love to talk about that for a minute. I find it, it fascinating.
0: It's so cool because so so first of all, I'm going to see if I I can um, lay yeah, down sure. what what goes on here. So essentially. It it is the way you describe it is based on crazy physics, probably Boyle's law. I'm sure Boyle's involved somehow. You essentially have ice, so stuff that's zero degrees or colder, but it's in a liquid form. And for some reason, people decide to jump into this, which just sounds absolutely bananas to me.
1: Oh well, yeah. Your body,
0: We're in right? So your body goes into fight or flight mode, and then essentially does everything it can to keep you alive. Which is one of them is spouting your body with incredible amounts of adrenaline. Uh, so how how did your journey? How does that all tie into hangovers?
1: <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, I I kind of. Um...
0: Uh, both literally and figuratively,
1: uh, fell into this one. <laughs> um, and 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 why? Why I say literally uh, for those who haven't read the book, um, basically, w- w- you know, w- one of the uh, many sort of uh, research uh, trips I took was down to Las Vegas, the uh, the epicenter of hangovers in the world, you know, and um, and uh, I was down there to do um, these sort of adrenaline fueled. Uh, uh, activities for a men's magazine uh, um, in this sort of uh, ex- extreme Vegas junket they were doing for for a few reporters. And that it included uh, driving a Ferrari race car around a 10-turn track and uh, um, jumping off the stratosphere uh, which is the tallest uh, freestanding uh, building west or east, something of the Mississippi you know um,
0: Probably West.
1: Sho- <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: shooting, I'm, no, I'm no cartographer but
1: <laughs> <laughs> shooting uh, bazooka's uh, flying a, flying a fighter a real fighter jet in a mock dog fight up in the air. Um, and so I decided to combine these lunatic um, sort of activities with, uh, with testing out, uh, the world's uh, self-purported um, greatest hangover doctor who has his clinic down in Las Vegas called Hangover Heaven. And my idea is that I would drink far too much, then go and take one of his treatments, and then go test out that treatment by doing one of these things that would you would never want to do with a hangover.
0: Um, I'm, I'm going to pop in here really quickly because what I think is amazing about this is that you essentially, this is the greatest multitask you could possibly do because you're you're writing for a men's magazine about extreme sports, but also writing this book. And so you decide, w- why not do them with a hangover and you're getting research on both. I love well, this yeah, idea. Well, yeah,
1: because publishers don't pay for your research, so you got to find some other way to do <laughs> sure, it. Sure. So get a magazine gig and go. And this is uh, something it. that becomes a theme throughout the book is me doing one ridiculous uh, article and trying to combine it with drinking too much. <laughs> you know? But um, uh, so, so each, uh, each one of these... Um, activities mostly ended up with me just becoming extremely ill each time, uh, despite the hangover doctor's uh, best efforts. Um, Up until I I did that uh, aforementioned uh, jump off the stratosphere, um, whereby you basically jump off the stratosphere. Right. (laughs) Um, uh, Thank you for that a,
0: clarification. I wasn't sure yeah, what happened. Yeah, yeah, there.
1: Yeah. It's a free fall for the yeah. first one, right? right? Oh. So the bungees that are attached to different parts of you don't kick in until you're only, you know, you're already halfway to the ground. Oh um, it's a really terrifying, amazing feeling, <laughs> um, and it and it, it's so overwhelming that it sort of blew the hangover right out of me. And um, and when I, by the time I landed on the ground, my hangover was gone, and so I started to investigate how this could be possible, and um, and it brought me to concepts around adrenaline. Uh, there is this um, scientific scientists have this uh, this term uh, the use of the the fast sobering phenomenon mm-hmm. whereby whereby a, a downright drunken individual. Um, if given a massive dose of adrenaline, will suddenly exhibit all the characteristics of a of an entirely sober one, and so I thought that that could probably extend and even more uh, more easily to the to the area of hangover, um,
0: like pulp fiction and, style. That's how I mean that happens in pulp fiction.
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so I started trying to sort of get massive doses of adrenaline in different ways, and one of the most uh, one of the clearest, other than going up and down and jumping off the stratosphere over, and
0: over. or syringe into the heart directly yeah
1: mm. yeah one of, one of the ones i found that was much easier was uh these um yeah glacial lakes that we have here in canada whereby uh you know water that should be frozen because of because of uh um waterfalls and the and, the, and uh and the environment there they're actually you know liquid ice basically wow. and uh and, and yeah you can just flood your body with adrenaline by jumping into one of those and, uh, and it does seem to work, but, but so it's a difference of just like, um, having a sort of a, whatever you call it, a normal amount of adrenaline, let's say, like, uh, um,
0: let's say sporting's could, event, sporting yeah, event kind of adrenaline
1: like that, that kind of adrenaline may push a hangover to the back of your reality for a little while. But then when the adrenaline crashes, you sort of crash twice as much. What I'm talking about is such a massive um fully you know um f- uh, physical psychological spiritual blowout of your system that you, <laughs> you basically reboot like a computer you know? and, and uh and so i just sort of went for that a few times and right. uh, it's Seemed to work. It was one of the few things that did
0: over that decade. So all you have to do is shift your paradigm completely, both physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, yeah, and then hangover gone. Yeah, that's all you have to do. Right, it's easy. <laughs> now, did you ever did you ever try adrenaline right into the heart, or was that because that isn't in the book? No,
1: there there are two things that uh, I was going to do. One was one was that what you just described, are you and the serious? other was. Yeah, and the other was kidney dialysis. Oh, my God. Um, And uh, I, in the end, both my publisher and my editor... Uh, made me swear not to because I was already in such poor health I had booked this uh, oh God. Uh, this idea there's actually a, a, a place you can go for kidney dialysis if you pay enough money uh, without without having to sort of go through the medical system here in Canada right. which is right across from Canada's Wonderland which is a huge uh, amusement park so my plan was to get drunk go for kidney dialysis and then go on a roller coaster um and uh <laughs> And that concept was nixed because I just uh, they didn't believe that my uh, my heart would uh,
0: hold out. Holy cow! Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, the hangover would be the hangover would be fixed. They would have tested you chemically to see if your hangover was gone, so they could finish the book. Yeah. But you may not have survived.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, so I do believe. Like, let's say. Uh, um, uh, in another conversation I had with you, you said, okay, uh, if you had a gun to your head, right. <laughs> what would be the answer here? Right. You know, If somebody put a gun to your head and said, you have to fix your, um, or, or, or the, you know, uh, the world will be destroyed if if you cannot fix your hangover immediately, you know, damn the repercussions, then I think kidney dialysis would probably do it. Hmm. Of, course, of course, you'd feel like absolute hell the next day and so on right. or, or after that. But if you had to get rid of, the uh the symptoms of hangover immediately uh i think that would my my guess is that that would be the way to to go
0: well i was actually remarkably impressed by how effective or at least the you know the efficacy that the assumed efficacy because i haven't done it but of jumping into ice cold water you did it twice you saved a sandal i mean by god you're a hero (laughs) um if i remember correctly uh, you weren't carried around. I don't know why if people weren't carrying you around and, and building out statues, because I wouldn't have jumped in after a sandal. Uh, I, um, mean,
1: I, I wonder that pretty often.
0: <laughs> At least a shirt, right? But it seemed like that was almost like a, a right-out-of-the-box fix. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not feasible. You know, I mean, no one can have like ice in their backyard every time they get a hangover, but I was amazed... And how, how much it worked. And I, I imagine that if you were going to build a hangover cure, that is a great foundation to at least know, well, this works, how can we get there? Um, yeah, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, as far as something that might work the morning after, uh, yes, I, I think adrenaline's right up there. Um, you know, what, finally in the end, uh, I don't know if you've you finished the book, but what I, I do settle on, settle on, for, uh. Uh, what I would suggest um, is the most effective hangover cure it actually has to be uh, ingested uh, the night before, mm-hmm. you know, after drinking and before sleeping. Right. And, uh, and that, and that uh, concoction that I basically came up with after, you know, a decade of uh, trying out everything, um, that, that, that does work. Uh, at least the lawyers at my publishing house say that I'm supposed to say it, it works for me. <laughs> and it's my gear and I don't recommend it to other people. <laughs> right. So I'll leave that.
0: There. No, 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 that's fair. Could you? So I don't know if the lawyers are listening or not, but but could you patent it, or does the um, does your publishing company own the rights to to your concoction?
1: I assume everybody's listening. Doesn't everybody listen to your podcast?
0: Uh, yeah, of course. Well, <laughs> I mean, at yeah. this moment.
1: Um, uh, could I patent it? No, there's nothing that I could patent because there's nothing proprietary in there. Um, they are all things that you yourself, uh, if you ever had a drink, and, um, could uh, go to the health food store and purchase yourself. Um, but I mean the like trick- KFC,
0: like the KFC breading and the, the ingredients of Coca-Cola. I mean you supposedly can get those off a shelf but like yeah, there
1: Yeah, I, mean, I might be able to figure out uh, – you know, if through doses and um, and a, and a mix, if I mixed it together, maybe I could patent something. I'm not sure, and I'm not sure I would really want to uh, create uh, a product that uh, that cures hangovers. And as uh, I get into in the last chapter of the book, right. um, you know, if we could all just uh, drink ourselves into oblivion without um, without uh, fear of the morning after then um pretty well it might be the end of the human race
0: (laughs) well i'd be around sure yeah yeah well that that's that's even scarier
1: is the idea that uh the teetotalers (laughs) would be running things
0: well i'm not i'm not a moral teetotaler so so there's a big difference there um, I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. But um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I'd want a bunch of run running things either. I mean, I think that that sounds absolutely horrendous.
1: Well, uh, we we uh, you, you guys have one as the leader of the your the free world right now.
0: Is it is that true? I don't even think I realize. Yeah,
1: he's, he's, he doesn't drink. Uh, who else didn't drink? Um, uh, the
0: uh, well, Adolf oh, Hitler.
1: Adolf Hitler didn't drink. Let's put... Yeah, uh, <laughs> Just making stuff
0: up now. Stalin didn't not, drink. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no,
1: yeah.
0: That's What's not true. Else? Stalin definitely drank. Uh, so, so one of the things that I think is kind of cool about this is it's not even so much the ingredients, right? So you go into your... I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything. I think that there's. it's a great... You do come up with, like you said, something that works for you. It's pretty interesting how you get to that. But what I thought was really cool about it is it's it, it is the ingredients, it, you know, it is what they do in your body and how um, alcohol and the and the things that alcohol breaks down into and the way your body interacts with that, all that's important. But stopping those metabolic processes um, in the physiology is in that and that requires timing. Timing is it's very all about specific. Timing.
1: All about the timing.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really the the golden rule here that people forget. Everyone wants to be able to take something whenever and it goes away. But yeah, the timing is is brilliant. I love that. That's the conclusion you came to.
1: Yeah, you have to have a certain amount of uh, f- foresight um, and be cognizant enough uh, to uh, to take these uh, these pills um, after you've uh, imbibed all that alcohol and before you fall asleep, because uh, that's that sweet spot where. Um, where the mechanism of hangover has not yet begun, and the, the the horrible domino effect that comes from that, whereby basically your your body is poisoning itself over and over through a uh, a sort of um, over overreaction of your immune system um, that causes all sorts of other problems. Um, none of that none of that is allowed to uh, to really begin. Um, and yeah, that's how, that's how it works.
0: So, so do you take, so you mentioned that you, um, you know, you, you make this great astute point that if we could get rid of the downside effects of alcohol, that the human race would collapse and teetotalers would rise like the cockroaches that they are. But but so do you take your own? I mean, so do you take this medication? I'm mean, not medication's a strong word. You yeah, take this, yeah. You do. Oh, uh, I mean, you follow t-
1: your own rules. I I took it quite often uh, in the in the latter stages of writing that book, and uh, and um, I think that's why the book gets a bit dark near the end. Um, one thing I discovered is that uh, when you take away the physical aspects of hangover. Um, then the metaphysical aspects sort of swoop right in. Right. And um, because one thing that the, uh, the remedy that I came up with does not um, address are, uh, you know, the kind of uh, uh, depression, anxiety, exhaustion, the more kind of ephemeral and insidious aspects of of hangover, uh, they remain. And in fact, I would suggest that when your consciousness is not distracted by um, the physical pain and discomfort of hangover, then it's able to turn and focus fully on these uh, sort of more metaphysical demons in a way that's not at all pleasant.
0: So if, if I'm turning this book into a movie, okay, that, that narration you just gave right now, that, mm-hmm. that, so you're going to narrate that over a scene with you looking at your recipe ingredient by ingredient, and as you get towards the end, you're going to light a flame, and you're going to slowly burn it up, and then you're going to be in the silhouette behind as this thing goes into flame. Does you realize the power that you've unleashed and that the humanity well, I, is not ready for.
1: And that that to me is sort of why you know we were talking earlier about the kind of uh, Jekyll and Hyde aspect of this, the, the realizing what you've uh, kind of created and what you've become from creating it, and what others could too, you know. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Well, it's, so so Hangover it ends in a dark place, but the word Hangover. Kind of came from a very funny place. This, there's a couple, there's some great stuff, and I love little tidbits of trivia that I never knew. There's a bunch in here, and one is the root word of the word hangover. Um, so if I'm if I'm to understand this correctly, 1904 uh, in the Foolish Dictionary, which I don't know exactly what that is, but they had silly definitions for things. Hangover is used kind of like a, a, a Three Stooges-style Dewey Cheatham and Howe law firm. <laughs> yeah. uh, where it's like this, that's, there's like a law firm at the bottom that describes the brain and one of them is like, you know, I don't, I forget what it is, but it, it's hung over and that, that's really the first usage of well, the word.
1: Well, that is the, that is the oldest printed, uh, published, um, example that today we can find. Okay. Okay. So, but it seems to be referring to something that people and, uh, that people already knew. Uh, as a term but but to your point it, it's an extremely new term for for a malady that's that's older than language you know yeah. uh there are no you know, 1904 is the first print example we can ha- find and then it doesn't even come into really popular use uh um uh, uh in writing until 20 years later 1920 between the wars, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then it just sort of uh, takes over, not just in the English language, but other countries. Uh, and, sorry, other languages and other cultures ad- adopt the English term "hangover" hmm. quite readily after that. But it's so it's really so bizarre that we we had no real word for this uh, except for say <laughs> sort or Jim, Jim, "jim jam," <laughs> you know, uh, you know. Um, well. We, we, but, but none that uh, everybody had agreed upon that had such uh, such sort of um, uh, fundamental perfection to both its, its sound know, and its James meaning. Jim Jams is pretty close you know? to
0: perfection in both sound and meaning. It's a pretty good one. So, so what I love about this is you really go way back and figure out hangover cures. And we're talking about Pliny the Elder. I mean, no last names, right? He's just an old guy. He's the only old guy on the planet, and they call him the Elder, right? I assume that's how it worked. So this is, this is kind of, I wonder if you did this. So, so you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be this guy, but that seems very like Western culture. So here's where I'm going with this. When I, I did an interview with um, a couple of guys, unrelated, they're Navajo Rangers. So they're, they're Navajo in, um, in ethnicity. They do, they do this great stuff on, on the Navajo nation. One of the things I learned talking to them is the Navajo people and a lot of indigenous peoples, not only of the Americas, but also across the world because they didn't have a written language for so long, uh, or they didn't write a lot of stuff down, they did, had oral tradition for most of their cultural existence. Memory was extraordinarily important. So remembering stories in a specific order, you know, how medicine men would, would learn how to do things, you know, their remedies. Uh, I imagine that, you know, fermentation, alcohol goes back, it's cross-cultural, It's it's a human thing. Did you talk to any people like that who maybe culturally have existed on the planet using you know natural remedies for a longer period of time for the same maladies?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, yes and no. in in different in uh, different cultures, I talked to a lot of people um uh, ab- about you know healers uh, in the um, Asian uh, traditions, some. Some North American, some South American. There are a few mentions in the book, actually. If you're talking about Navajo, and I think there was uh, had to do with pressure put mm-hmm. on the upper palate, combined with some other um, uh, some 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 other thing you're supposed to do. I'd have to go back and look at the book. Um, I was trying to find ancient remedies wherever I could, um, but as you point out. Uh, the, 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 uh, that the ones that are handed down from long enough ago tend to be, uh, cultures that wrote them down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, there are so many amazing folkloric, uh,
0: right.
1: <laughs> right. things that, uh, I tried to try to document in here, um. Uh, it's it, it, it's it's so strange that for uh, so long we've been sort of both trying to solve this thing and at the same time uh, it seems ignoring it. I mean, the, you know, um, the scientific communities uh, of the Western world, as you would put it, have really ignored the hangover for most of history, um, even while all of our uh, whatever old wives have been uh, trying to deal
0: with it. You know? Right. Well, I mean, it is, it's is—it's just amazing how far back it goes. Um, you know, I mean, it's its kind of like ever since apples were rotting, people were drinking it. And it's one of those things, I'm, there's a couple of different topics that I've talked about where it's its weird to me that we even consume the things that we do. You know, cheese is one of them. You know, I talked to a cheesemonger about the history of cheese. I get, it's weird like how people started saying, oh, that milk is spoiled. i I, I got a great idea, everyone. Let's eat it like that's just a weird concept to me because we have this natural instinct to stay away from spoiled things um it just it's odd in in alcohol because it's it's a process, it's a, it's a, you know it's a byproduct of the rotting the disintegration of matter process that it it's just and it's so specific to fermentation
1: uh, i i mean alcohol is really one of the most mysterious molecules in the universe you mm-hmm. know right it's. It's. Uh, we still know so little about it. We've been sort of prodding at it and doing things involving it and trying to make it for you know twenty thousand years, and we still don't know uh, almost nothing about um, how and why it affects us the way it does.
0: Right. I mean, it's kind of there is still a mystery to it, even this in this age of science. You know, we mentioned the definition of the word, or I'm sorry, the root of the word hangover. You also talk about the technical term which is Visalia, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Did I say that right? Uh, I believe so. I don't. You don't hear people say it that often. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think I nailed it, Vasily. Uh, you nailed it, I man. nailed it, man. Nailed it. <laughs> one of the few times. Um, so that's just a side note. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, one of the cool things, so like I said, I'm a teetotaler. i mentioned it a couple times. I don't know a lot about alcohol, but what I would loved is you talk to this guy, Brian Kinsman, who's a master malter and not the delicious kind of 1950s malts. We're talking about um, alcoholic malts here. And he talks, first of all, talks about cogners which are essentially anything that isn't alcohol, if I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly. It's the things that kind of give a specific alcohol, like bourbon, whiskey, or whatever, its flavor. And even within the type of alcohol, the different breweries or the different processes, it can, it's all the little extras that give it the, you know, je ne sais quoi. I, is that pretty accurate?
1: Uh, I mean, yes. um, It's definitely a made-up term, congener or congener or however you would pronounce it. I don't even know. It's a very made-up term for anything that finds its way into an alcoholic drink that is not ethanol, that is not (laughs) Uh, and And so you can have very negative congeners. Uh, which um, would create uh, sort of ill effects and more toxicity. And you can have very positive ones uh, that give it uh, a robust color or flavor and so on.
0: I just thought that was kind of an interesting concept. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's like additives in food, I guess. You know, I mean, are they good? Are they bad? Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting about the conversation you had with him is he talks about how good alcohol, and I'm not exactly sure – Like how one would describe good, you know, obviously, he's a master malter, he his definition of good is probably, I guess, a little more accurate, or at least something to um, be taken a little more seriously. Uh, And he talked about how good alcohol, there's a lack of hangovers. Is that because of the lack of stuff in it, or is it in the pure? Is it more pure? What does that
1: mean? So I got, I'll, I'll try to um, summarize uh, something that's quite complex and scientific. But okay. what he's talking about has to do uh, very um, um, specifically with single malt Scotch and the way that it's aged. Um, when when we were first uh, creating Scotch, it was a, it was known as a white lightning. It's just with a clear alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And they would put it in. Um, in barrels to transport it if they were going to be uh, s- selling it, uh, you know, further afield. Um, and the barrels they used were oak wine barrels. And to get the taste of the wine out, uh, they would scorch the insides and then they would put the uh, wine in it. And um, what they found was that the, the longer the journey and the more tumultuous the journey, um, the better the, uh, that white lightning was when they took it out, it suddenly had all these flavors and beautiful colors and this kind of robustness to it. And, um, and they discovered pretty much by accident that, uh, that when you char oak, it does uh, two things. It creates both a char layer and a toast layer. And the, the toast layer is additive. It allows the um, tannins from the wood to infiltrate essentially the, the liquid and create tastes and colors. Um, whereas the char layer is subtractive. It actually pulls out um, uh, impure elements from that liquid, filtering them into the into the wood. Um, and so y- you've got this sort of perfect natural organic um, filtration system that also, uh, adds wonderful, um, characteristics to the, to the liquid, uh, as long as it is allowed the time. And that's where oak aging comes from. This is where the idea of aging, uh, Aging an um, alcohol will do absolutely nothing if you just put it in a jar or put it in a metal <laughs> container and right. just leave it for leave it for twenty years. Then you say, "Oh, this is a twenty-year-old whiskey." Well, it's, it doesn't make any difference. Right. It's that's it's how it um, it's how it combines with the wood, uh, and so what we've been doing now for hundreds, if not thousands, of years is you know um, replicating these old uh, horse-drawn carriage trips that these uh, first um, uh, Scotch uh, salesmen were, were taking. And so now you have these warehouses where people go in and they turn the barrels and they move around and, uh, for, for many years until, um, until they get a, a desired, um, not just taste and color, but purity to it uh, through that natural filtration
0: it's kind of cool because you're talking about charcoal as well, which is beca- you know yes. is an antitoxin. So it's kind of like on a much smaller level, to removing the toxins naturally.
1: So, so, so um, charcoal is what we call a, a chelator, which comes from the the the, the, ch- the word charcoal. It, it goes into the body, um, like if you were to
0: take charcoal tablets, if you,
1: as they'll give you in a uh, an emergency room, if you have a. a a uh, drug overdose or something like that
0: M- goes my dog the, ate chocolate once and i and had to he give her charcoal
1: right so, so it goes in and it uh it finds these uh elements in the body that are toxic to that specific system Got and it. draws yeah. them out with it we actually have many foods that do the same thing um you know if you look at some of the uh, ancient drinking songs and poems and so on. A lot of them, they're always singing about uh, cabbage, whether it's boiled cabbage or pickled cabbage. And uh, mm. I, I I couldn't really figure out why cabbage was appearing in so many old drinking songs, and it's because cabbage is a natural chillator. It also goes into the body, hooks on to toxins, and uh, pulls it out with them when they when it
0: leaves. Hmm. I didn't know that. Um, it was weird because my dog ended up pooping out like what look like charcoal briquettes. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is very disturbing in a way. Um, <laughs> I would have rather just given her cabbage. It's quite the same effect, but
1: Oh well, well, well there's also that old um, uh, Victorian chimney sweep uh, method right. of trying to saw, of trying to cure a hangover whereby uh, to make some extra money around Christmas time, uh, the, the sweeps would um, gather soot from the from the fireplaces and sell them to to people in the street. Um, who were about to go and uh, tie one on, and they would uh, mix the soot into their uh, into a mug of uh, warm milk, drink it down, and uh, um, b- before imbibing. And I, I tried that too, and uh, uh, didn't quite
0: work. You mix it in with um, eggnog, right? I mixed it in with eggnog.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that was the the problem. I also made the mistake, perhaps, of combining it that night with a another a more Mediterranean cure, which is to uh, um, or more of a prophylactic. I guess so you do you drink a, a cup of olive oil to coat your stomach from the uh, from the impending booze. And I think that. Uh, that mixing the the chimney sweep method and the old Mediterranean one together somehow either cancel each other off or, or sort of they wrestled around in my gut and things went very bad by box.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, um, you sound like a scientist right now and I'm not a scientist, but I would say that I imagine that part of the efficacy of, of charcoal would be its ability to be absorbed through the stomach wall and by coating your stomach in olive oil, you probably put the the barrier on that. Yeah, yeah, That's my yeah, guess.
1: I think that probably your guess there probably proves what a poor scientist I am. <laughs> um, and, and I really have zero scientific background, so I had to I had to learn a lot of
0: things through trial and error, and mostly error over the past decade. Sure. Well, a lot of great scientists have come to fruition that way. Until we got penicillin, right? So speaking of speaking of hard science, let's talk about a real technical term here. I hope we're not going to go over anyone's head. Um, hair of the dog. How does this? A lot of people say this is a you know as far as a colloquial method, the commoners' method. This seems to be one that has a lot of legs, at the very least. Yeah. Um, what did you find?
1: Um, so, well, interestingly enough, um, there are. There is, there is scientific backing as to why the hair of the dog would work past just the idea that you're sort of curbing that, uh, the, the, the down swoop of alcohol leaving your system, which sort of crashes you uh, with, with, with another dose. There's actually um, – so there's uh, – if you, if you look at the way alcohol is made – um, what we're aiming for, as I said before, is, is that ethanol, the ethyl alcohol. But often one of the byproducts of making that ethyl alcohol that can sneak in, one of those congeners we were talking about, can be methanol. And methanol is an extremely nasty substance. Um, and what can happen is that when your body finishes breaking down the ethyl alcohol or the ethanol in your, in your body, um, if there was any methanol, it can then turn to that and start breaking that down. And when methanol breaks down, it turns into formaldehyde, which you do not want roaming around in your body. Mm. Um, Unless and you're so, dead. Yeah, exactly. So if you, uh, if you reintroduce a little bit uh, of alcohol, uh, another alcoholic drink, uh, i.e. a little more ethyl alcohol, then the body will stop breaking down that, that methanol long enough for it to be uh, to, for it to withdraw from the body, uh, non-methylated, so um, so so it's not broken down, so it's not turned into that formaldehyde. Uh, while the while the body then sort of gets distracted, turns it turns to uh, breaking down the ethyl alcohol again. Um, so that's one very specific way that the hair of the dog uh, can um, s- stop a very sickening mechanism from happening. Um, and then there's just the uh, um you know the, the like i say the uh the kind of curbing of that uh, that down swoop you feel from the withdrawal of alcohol in your system to begin with uh the trick of course is to to you know keep telling yourself that this is this one's a medicinal drink you're just going to have one maybe two at the max otherwise if you start <laughs> on a whole day of hair of the dog all you're doing of course is putting off that
0: that inevitable uh hangover that's probably going to be twice as bad right well there's got to be something too, cuz there's so many breakfast drinks that uh you know and and exactly what you're saying is you know there, there's a reason why people are are doing that um, what what I love is that it's the basis for a hangover cure by Josh Parsons, and I, I love the explanation of this because it's almost like Zeno's paradox of Achilles and the tortoise, right? So it's like, or yeah, I remember this this puzzle like if a, if you if a frog jumps halfway, you know, every minute, how long does it take him to get to the end? It's like, well, it never gets to the end, and and, and I love this idea that like the, let me see if I understand this correctly. So one drink equals one hour of intoxication equals one hour of hangover. So if you believe that then when the hangover should start, you take a drink, and then you're essentially repeating it over and over again in order to kind of like exponentially decrease your hangover with hair of the dog, right? Is, my, is that kind of my that, explain? that? Yes.
1: Yeah, sure? So, so this is, you're talking about this. Uh, I think he was a, um, a philosophy uh, grad student, Parsons. Right. Parsons but, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he created a paper called the, uh, I think it's the Eliatic uh, Hangover. That's sk- it. And um, yes, it's it's a completely conceptual hangover. Oh, you, d-
0: you didn't try this. <laughs>
1: um, it is probably the most frustrating way you could ever try to drink. <laughs> so, so what if it works? You, 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 <laughs> well, essentially, what you're doing is trying to solve a hangover that you will never get, right? <laughs> right yeah. yeah. you'll also never become intoxicated
0: okay. because
1: because uh, of the rate that your body. So your oh, body. I see process pretty well uh one drink per hour um pretty cleanly and what this is doing is dividing that hour down into sub sub portions um whereby in the end you should be like um fear having a theoretic kind of Half molecule of alcohol <laughs> within, a, within a nanosecond or something like this, right?
0: <laughs> I um, love this the thought <laughs> experiment.
1: For again, um, but the way he writes it is is quite funny, and I've tried to uh, try to um, sort of touch on it in the book. It's it's quite a, uh, a long and uh, and um, hilariously dense paper he wrote, actually.
0: I love it. That's my favorite cure besides jumping in a frozen river. Um, so before we, before we move on to other cures, I got, we got to talk about something before we run out of time. Cause one of my favorite parts of the book, again, is not really hangover related. There's two of them. First of all is how you learned you were allergic to Dramamine. Um, so number one, and then number two, and I don't even know if this is racist. I don't know what's racist in the world anymore, but what is Asian flush syndrome? Okay. Well, Dramamine here in, here in Canada, we call Dramamine gravel.
1: Um, okay. and I duo in the U.K. too, just for any of your listeners who are not in the U.S. Okay. The first, so when I was doing um, down in Vegas and the morning I was flying the fighter plane, um, I took some Dramamine uh, just so that, um, uh, you know, any air sickness might be somewhat mitigated. I, I started almost instantly hallucinating and sweating and freaking out while I was trying to fly this fighter plane. Um, and I realized that I, uh, it was actually not until much later, months later, when I actually came down with meningitis, which I, do, which I don't write about in the book. And I ended up in the hospital, almost dead on meningitis, and they were giving me Gravol or Dramamine uh, that I discovered I have a very strong uh, Allergy to Dramamine that basically causes the same symptoms of an extremely debilitating hangover. Wow. So uh, that that kind of be became a sort of a. a, a a accidental through line through some of the, uh, the book there. Well, it's like a false um, positive
0: for what you're doing. I mean, exactly.
1: Really. Exactly. It, it confused things even more. No, um, no, when,
0: no, let me ask you a question here. So when you were flying the fighter jet and you're doped up on both alcohol and Dramamine, you've got this fighter jet, you know, this, 10 million dollar fighting machine uh, you're you're piloting is it like you know a student driver uh, like when you're doing student driving tests does the does the instructor are they able to take control of this thing or could you yeah
1: the instructor is able to take control from the uh from the rear cockpit okay um and the the instructor is the one who takes off and lands as well for for, for good reason. <laughs> right, that makes uh, but, sense. But, but the solid. rest of the time, the rest of the time, the controls are in your hands. And uh, there was no no instance when the, uh, um, the 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 pilot behind me actually took the controls. I was attempting to uh, to to blast this other guy out of the sky using this um, these uh, uh, essentially laser targeted things mm-hmm. uh, rather than. Um, real fire, you know?
0: and fire. And so. so, this person were they an imagined fighter? Like, were you looking at a Russian MiG that was flying in on you? No, or no, you no.
1: Was? I was up there with another journalist in another plane, and and you're trying to shoot each other down.
0: Okay, oh, so this wasn't part of the hallucination. This is actually something that, that no, happened. No, no, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this actually happened.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then well, I, I was hallucinating other things during
1: that episode. Yeah. Other
0: other airplanes are <laughs> like other people telling you to do things.
1: You no, know, mostly like like burning cactuses in the sky. <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> wow. Um, so the uh, Asian flush syndrome. What is this? And and how did how did this kind of get in the way of your research?
1: Yeah. So, uh, for, um, oh, yeah, it's it's a little complicated. Flushing syndrome is something that. Uh, we used to call it Asian fleshing syndrome just because uh, there are, there's a um, genealogy in uh, in a lot of the um, Asian countries that uh, where whereby they have uh, I don't know it's, it's it's something to do with um, an abnormality in, in, in DNA and uh, or in genes and they're more susceptible to this syndrome whereby when you take a bit of alcohol um, you get, uh, something that feels and looks like a, a, a histamic reaction, so uh, an allergic reaction whereby um, your skin gets very hot. Sometimes, sometimes you get very red in the face. In extreme cases, you can get extremely itchy and even have sores appear on your skin um, just, just from uh, imbibing a little bit of alcohol. And uh, and through part partway through my research, I actually sort of developed this syndrome, so that uh, uh, when I would drink, I would start to um, to um, to have these symptoms, um, and that kind of led me down some um, strange avenues of of research I may not have gone down otherwise. And um, but it was also extremely uh, discomforting and annoying to tell you the truth.
0: It sounds crazy. I mean, even like how you find out by talking to an expert, and they kind of reveal. You know, I think it's nice, and that you're alerted yeah. to, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so, so one of the things is that I mean. It, um, niacin, which is vitamin B3, uh, a lot of the concoctions I was coming up with involved different B vitamins, and I was using multivitamins when I shouldn't have been because niacin, uh, it does i think it has something to do with sort of opening your capillaries it can make for a kind of a flushing sensation if you if you take too much of it um and that combined with uh, apparently something that was happening with my immune system from drinking so much uh was causing some really severe reactions when i realized uh, that the niacin was exacerbating it i uh I took out those B vitamins from anything I was taking, and, uh, and it seemed to correct itself for a while. But then I didn't get into this later in the book uh, too heavily, but it, uh, the, the flushing syndrome did resurface a bit. But uh, for those who are listening who uh, suffer from this, uh, I have found a, uh, something that uh, mitigates it, some, some sort of remedy, which is actually Zantac. Uh, which is a uh, stomach medication has nothing to do with uh, histemic reactions or 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 uh, or flushing syndrome at all, but a just a coincidence. If you take a a, a Zantac before drinking, it seems to uh, to do the
0: trick. Wow, I mean that's yeah. one of those things. I mean that's what's so crazy about pharmacology is that like the. The effects and the side effects are just what you want it to do and then the side effects are what you don't want it to do. And it sounds like this is a pretty potent side effect that's actually an effect.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was I was I was happy when I found it. So now I uh, I take Xantac before I drink.
0: So a couple of things I want to get to before we finish up here, because I think this there's some pretty cool coincidence here. This is the kind of stuff I love. So You talk about JFK being shot and that – and this is – and I've heard this before um, and I think there was a big scandal a couple years ago about the Secret Service drinking a lot or there's like a a, a culture of drinking a lot, which I feel like of all the people who should be alert all the time – it's the especially the Secret Service guarding the president, not the ones that are working on counterfeiting, but like sure. you know the ones that are guarding the president. This is bizarre, um, but also that the Secret Service were approved the day Lincoln was shot um, yeah, because his disgusting. bodyguard was you know across the street, and this is just I think one of those little known similarities between Kennedy and Lincoln.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, not only was his bodyguard not there, he was he was apparently having a drink in a bar right. when. <laughs> When when Lincoln was uh, gunned down, and it was, as like you say, it was the day that he created the Secret Service. Um, yeah, there, there there's a whole culture uh, uh, around um, a lot of law enforcement that uh, you know really heavy drinking. I, I tried to try to make some connections um, through reading some books, uh, historical, and so on. But I'm not, you know. It's just so hard to know because what we're dealing with is the Secret Service, right. you know. Yeah. You just never know like uh, how much is is true and how much is not, and right. so those it's always hard to research things about
0: Secret Service or anything with the secret <laughs> yeah. in the name by yeah. definition. Uh, one of and one of the last things this sounded like a nightmare. I don't know how you made it through this, but you're talking about you you're going through the Alps. And you're operating a stick shift while on a steep hill. Now, I, I had a 1950 Plymouth. These are like, it's like a three-ton car, right? Um, and I remember being in LA, um, trying to park it on, you know, on just little hills. But you were going through, and you were going up a steep hill. There's there's no, from what I understand, there's no railing on the side. And you essentially, like, gave up, like, going up the hill. You're like, I'd had enough. But then you had to get back down on this narrow road, um, I imagine this is the type of adrenaline that would have cured a hangover the way you got out of this right
1: yeah yeah and I was very hungover that morning probably shouldn't have been driving I had a, I had a uh, Croatian car uh, four-speed um, standard shift and uh, I was I was in the parts of the Alps where um, you know you make a wrong turn and you end up on a road that isn't even really a road like it, it had been built Maybe for logging something by you know Austrian lumberjacks a hundred years ago, and uh, and you're going straight up a mountain, and like you say, there are no guardrails, and the problem, the real problem is that um, if it becomes so steep that the that that you can't keep moving forward with enough velocity, uh, you can't actually. Turn around without a sort of twenty-five point turn. Right the, right, the roads are so narrow, and all there is is the edge of a cliff on one side and the wall of a cliff on the other. And um, and yeah, I remember that that twenty-five point turn, um, uh, just you know, slamming your f- feet down one after the other, to, just to try to inch the car around without going over the lip and falling. Uh, you know, a mile down into who knows what through the clouds, um, or killing I, your car. Yeah. When, when I finally got, uh, the car turned around and flew down the mountain forwards. Uh, I remember as soon as I got out of the car, I just, was just, just vomiting on the side of the highway from the, uh, <laughs> the adrenaline release. Yeah. wow,
0: <laughs> That's crazy. Um, did you have to get the, the inside of the car dry cleaned? Um, from no, was, your bowels or anything, or?
1: I, I would, no, I was on. I was. I got
0: to the side of the road. Okay. catered things, okay.
1: and it happened to be that night that I uh, that I uh, sort of um, tried out one of the more interesting hangover cures. That was. It was that night that I got up to the top of a mountain, the correct mountain in the Alps, where they do this uh, hay burial. Um, oh right. Uh, this ancient hay burial as a as sort of a uh, uh, panacea. And, um, that was a fascinating one. First they boil you in a coffin and then, uh, lie you naked in a, in a grave and cover you in hay. And, uh, um, that was, that was a, that was a pretty intense day that one.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's almost the same process that T'Challa goes through to become the Black Panther. So I don't know if you were imbued (laughs) with any superpowers, but it's very close.
1: I, you know, this was so long ago now that I don't think I was as familiar with the Black Panther as I am now. Yeah. Very, very close.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, th- we've only scratched the surface of this. I, I will say, we both of th- this book and and down to this. Uh, they're Not only are they deep dives into the subject matter, but they're strangely personal and and you have very you know we, we didn't even really talk about this, but like you go through incredible journeys through both obviously the one took you ten years to do, and the other one your life was at risk probably almost every day um and so you're obviously you're going to go through some pretty serious moments but they they're they're great books they explore the topics uh, in an incredibly real way like you can they're they're uh, very tangible and very relatable. Uh, they're incredible reads. Um, and so how can people pick these books up? Where can they find them? I appreciate
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, they're great. Um, thank you. Um, well, well, hungover just came out, uh, this, uh, well, probably about four or five months ago now, depending on when uh, this will be broadcast, but, uh, um, it's available at, uh, you know, your, your local bookstore or you could get it online. Um, it's published by uh, Penguin Random House in the states, I believe, and uh, you can also get the um, the digital version or the audiobook, uh, all those formats. And it's it's also uh, being uh, translated into into several different languages and being published in different countries. So if your uh, if your listeners um, are are a they should be able to get a get a copy. Down to this is a, a bit harder to get a copy of. Um, I would love to have it published in the United States, but I published it so long ago here in Canada, and uh, um, that just never happened. So uh, if anybody, uh, if you're a publishing house out there, uh, (laughs) you know, pick up down to this uh, by Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. It came out in 2002, I believe. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. No, Um, 2004, I don't know, I don't know, somewhere around there.
0: You talk about uh, 9-11. And so I imagine. I think the book came out shortly after. Well, I, I, I
1: lived. In, I lived in the shanty town in two thousand 2002, right. And so then it took a year to finish the writing. I think it actually came out in early two thousand four. Okay. Published um, in Canada and in, uh, you know, the other side of the world, they publish it in Australia and New Zealand, but uh, not in the U.S. And I think it's actually a a story that is becoming more and more. Um, meaningful as the uh, economic divide changes, and as our uh, and the refugee crisis around the world kind of um, uh, suggest that uh, many of us are going to be in shanty towns. <laughs> a
0: dark, a dark <laughs> ominous ending, which is what uh, <laughs> Kshawnessi, aka Nessie, is known for. Um, are you on social media? Do you do that whole thing? Speaking of dark worlds,
1: um, I'm supposed to have a uh, <laughs> a website, right. but. There's nothing there if you click on it. Okay, awesome. Uh, don't do Twitter, but I do. I do have a um, uh, a Facebook page. Okay, that is just my name, Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. Yeah. So okay. I don't know. If I could look at that. My uh, <laughs> I have an Instagram page that I've never seen. My girlfriend curates it. Okay. She pretends to be me.
0: Okay. Well, that's you're destroying the illusion here, man. That's you. That's <laughs> not you're not supposed to look. Give people a peek. Behind the curtain. What, uh, what's the – do you know what the Instagram name is or should I ask her?
1: <laughs> yeah, you should ask her. I oh, oh no. It's, I think it's the Hungover Lowdown, I think.
0: Okay.
1: I think it's Hungover
0: Lowdown sometime. Okay. Like. We will yeah. find it. I'll have links to it on the page. That's probably easier. <laughs> so uh, true to form, uh, incredible ending, um, great stuff. Shaughnessy, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Hey, I had a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Uh, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns Introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E. A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E. A. Barrientos. If you want to dig deeper into this episode and to every episode that I have, go to fascinatingnouns.com. You can learn more about this episode, previous guests, this guest where you can find their stuff, their social media, and you can follow the show on social media. Scroll to the bottom of the page. Links to the show's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages, all at the bottom of the fascinating Nouns webpage. Up at the top, links to every episode that we've done. And of course, If you like this show, you're going to love my latest podcast called Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. We take pop culture technology, think of stuff you'd see on movies, TV, comic books, T-1000, Everlasting Gobstopper, Wolverine's Claws, Portable Holes, uh, all that kind of Spider-Man's web shooters, we take that kind of stuff, tell you how to make it in real life. It's a great show, fggbt.com, That's fggbt.com. That's the website. And if you like that show, you're going to love everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com for links to all of my projects. Thank you for listening. End of transmission. Thank
1: you.